she goes, Charlie Brown didn't have kids. <laughs> I go, but he had Snoopy. And then, like, six hours later, she texts me, dot, 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 will Snoopy have Woodstock? Smiley face. So, being guilted by your mother into getting a Christmas tree. I know. I guess I need to get one. I need to get a Christmas tree. It's about as bad as I need to be a listener of this show, Game of Owns. Game of Owns. It is that I time of year. Tried to find a way to marry it back into what we were talking about. It is that time of year, Eric. Well, now that it's after Thanksgiving, you've got an entire month of Christmas music and Christmas festivities and chocolate and all of the other things that it is useful or encouraged to be doing by society in the wintertime. Um, you know, this is actually the, the best part of the cold winter months, uh, because yeah, it's so festive. It's true. I wanted to stop you for a second there mm-hmm. and ask you why chocolate? Like why out of all the candies and of all the different sugar configurations do you pick? Like is chocolate actually a holiday thing? I think is it, it really? is. I think, well, I'm thinking specifically of the, uh, Christmas colored Hershey kisses. Okay. You know, the red and the green and the silver. That in particular screams Christmas. I guess it's because we always had them growing up. They were always around in the house. Not like we were encouraged to be fat or anything, but that was the one like indulgence that was like over the holidays we would get these holiday-themed kisses. And really that's just growing up in a house where those were in a jar on the table at Christmas time. I guess it's just – it's always become one of those things I consistently associate with the holidays. But then there's also like – melted like milk chocolate fountains experiences i've never had during christmas time but oh. i think you know hot cocoa at the very least uh yeah is a winter hot chocolate yeah yeah um so and because i don't do coffee the only time i really have a hot beverage at all um is hot cocoa in the winter months i do coffee i really i do it i take coffee uh, i take it i do it um it's delicious <laughs> I love it with uh, other things put inside of it. I'm not really sure why we're talking about this stuff, but I mean, I haven't been on the show for a while. I kind of was on the show last week at one point, but I feel like that was so long ago still. It feels you like know? a dream. It almost feels like the last couple episodes have been a dream. <laughs> that, that wasn't even me trying to transition, although I could. I'm not going to take the easy road here. I'm telling the truth. It feels like a dream, and uh, it's nice to kind of just be in this uh, stupor of relaxation and podcasting and going through the Game of Thrones uh, book as we are Clash of Kings, um, nearing the end, but we're not quite there, but we're almost quite there and really just kind of a, a good time of year to be doing this. Yeah, and I, we were reading this chapter today, this Theon chapter that Eric and I are taking care of. I was just thinking to myself how appropriate it was because you know we were talking about the holidays being here and they're on their way. We're now in the month of December, and it's cold. Like, it's actually cold. There's some precipitation falling outside, I think, in snow form. It's really um, I cold. drove through a lot of snow in the mountains. I was in Colorado, and, you know, I, I'm reading Theon being inside of Ned's bedchambers, and I'm thinking, yeah, you better close <laughs> those blinds. It's cold outside, man. You know what I mean? Like, I felt the cold myself. I had to go get some extension cords and stuff out of my car to bring them into my office just now to set up for recording, because I haven't, you know, how long has it been since I recorded here, right? Yeah. And I just kept thinking, Theon, close the blinds. Like, it actually is cold outside. Like, it's a shame. Like, I know he has all those furs, but I have a heated blanket, which I don't think he has. And I think that's a massive advantage of the modern world. Just massive. <laughs> a massive heated, advantage. yeah, let me, yeah, I, I, I would completely agree with you. A uh, heated blanket is, I'm pretty sure, the only thing that got me through uh, living in the winter uh, in New Zealand. Um, 
in Wellington when I lived there had a heated blanket. I haven't used it since. I think I gave it up, but go oh, yeah, because it was con- <laughs> it's configured for the foreign electric. So what yeah, are you going to do? Please try it. Listen, I have never had a heated blanket in my life until like I, two weeks ago. It's yeah. over with. One of the best things I've ever seen or happened or touched. Yeah, yeah. It is really – they are very, very comfortable. But curling up with a good book, uh, you know, whether or not you've got an electric blanket is about the right thing to do this time of year. And, you know, we here at Goo are, are just continuing to do that and continuing to bring you your 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 your, your analysis <laughs> of uh, of these chapters, which, you know, honestly, the reason I think uh, I'm, I'm not at all ashamed for – Delaying a little bit is because people don't really like Theon and people don't really care much uh, for chapters that he's in. Um, and so, you know, it's not like there's no great urgency for us to really dive in. Although I will <laughs> say the prognostication or not prognosticate. What is what am I trying to say? The visions that uh, were delivered in this chapter are on par with the type of visions we've seen uh, Danny uh, succumb to. Um, not just, you know, most recently in the House of the Undying, but anything that Bran or Jon Snow has gone through, Theon is now going through. And it's really very, you know, an interesting chapter all in. We've got a, a slight look into that here at the top of the chapter. I feel like let's just let's just dive right into this frozen pond, shall we? <laughs> frozen pond, yes. From the top of the chapter, the sky was a gloom of cloud. The woods dead and frozen. Roots grabbed at Theon's feet as he ran, and bare branches lashed at his face, leaving thin stripes of blood across his cheeks. He crashed through, heedless, breathless, icicles flying to pieces before him. Mercy, he sobbed. From behind came a shuddering howl that curdled his blood. Mercy, mercy. When he glanced back over his shoulder, he saw them coming. Great wolves the size of horses with the heads of small children. Damn, that's freaky. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't oh, that not mercy. freakier than any yes. other creature? Like, it, you can imagine, like, a liger or, uh, well, liger's cheating. A liger is cheating. But you can imagine, like, a centaur or a minotaur and all these crazy go- half animal, Reptar. half human things. But really, wolves with human faces is like a new one because I mean, for me, the thing that stands out about wolves is their snouts and their faces. Like you wouldn't be able to tell a wolf from a coyote or a, a, a leopard or anything else like without its face. So it's just this four legged human that's coming and biting at him and snarling. That makes me think of lost in space. Do you remember when uh, Gary Oldman was at the very end and he was in a spider's body? Yes. Spoiler alert. Yes. That was some creepy shit. That was actually that remains to be one of like the best done like special effects that I like about like creature stuff. But yeah, I agree. So it's a lot like that, I guess, in a way. Slightly uncomfortable. Gary Oldman's chasing Theon and he's crying for mercy. I would cry for mercy. Gary Oldman plays some. Some twisted characters. Blood dripped from their mouths, black as pitch, burning holes in the snow where it fell. Damn. Every stride brought them closer. Theon tried to run faster, but his legs would not obey. The trees all had faces, and they were laughing at him. Laughing, and the howl came again. He could smell the hot breath of the beast behind him. A stink of brimstone and corruption. That's a very strange stink, because the stone at the brim, they must have a certain type of... uh, Odor, anyway. They're dead. Dead, I saw them. Killed, he tried to shout. I saw their heads dipped in tar, but when he opened his mouth, only a moan emerged, and then something touched him, and then he whirled around shouting. So basically, Theon's now waking up from his terrible dream, Eric. Horrible, in fact, right? It was a horrible dream, and just uh, again about this imagery, though, 
um, seeing wolves with, with kids' faces, you're like, oh, that's creepy. Like, Theon must think it's, like, the craziest thing ever. But to us, it makes perfect sense as readers because we've seen for several, several chapters, if not the whole book by now, that Bran and, 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 uh, you know, presumably Rickon have this ability to, you know, move their minds into these, these direwolves. It's actually a surprisingly literal, uh, interpretate, like a v- literal visual interpretation of what's actually happening in the world. And the idea that, uh, Theon's guilt could be leading this dream sequence, could be leading, uh, basically we find out that he's been having nightmares for, for a couple days now, ever since he returned from the mill. Um, they're getting progressively worse, but it's this great, like, guilt that he doesn't even necessarily really acknowledge until the very end of this chapter. He's kind of been living with it. And he's just like, man, I can, I can continue to distract myself from this. It's not right that I'm having these dreams, but he's not one to really give in to his, his like, what, nature is trying to tell him no it's true i feel like guilt is such a prevailing theme of this entire chapter because i mean especially starting it out just like that we know that the children do warg and the wolves and like you said this is a very literal sort of interpretation of the kinds of things that we're seeing and i feel like these dreams are getting even more and more more literal and almost even more and more just almost not even dream sequency just almost like okay well that might happen that could be fact <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and now theon's having these uh these visions and i think that they're more nightmarish driven than they would be as something that could be considered green sight but still mm-hmm. i mean there's definitely an element to this that has been seen in the rest of the dreams so far yeah for sure and i mean even if we're looking at some of the other dreams that he has had it's they center around these people that he's killed uh recently uh, you know, he has this dream where he's trying to put clothes on, uh, Bran and Rickon. I guess he had to dress the bodies, um, in order to not parade them, but to show them to the rest of Winterfell. Um, you know, he had to dress them and they were like resisting him. And even though they're dead, like just their bodies were too still, like he, he couldn't easily lace them up or something. So he had a dream where he's lacing up Bran and Rickon's headless bodies. Uh, and then another dream he had with, uh, the woman. Which was oh yeah very interesting. The night before it had been the miller's wife. Theon had forgotten her name, but he remembered her body, soft pillowy breasts and stretch marks on her belly, the way she clawed his back when he fucked her. Last night in his dream he had been in bed with her once again, but this time she had teeth above and below. Ah. And she tore <laughs> and she tore out his throat. Even as she was gnawing off his manhood, it was madness. He had seen her <laughs> die too. And in this case, Gelmar had cut her down with one blow of his axe as she cried to Theon for mercy. So this is clearly a guilt situation where he feels responsible for her death, even though it was Gelmar. But this whole gnawing off of his manhood, this whole, the idea that as he's pleasuring himself, he's losing a pre- that precious, oh so precious part of him. We know this. We know this actually happens. This is as clear as it gets to you know what he deserves. Or I think in some completely subconscious, because that's what dreams are anyway. In an upcon- un- in an unconscious, subconscious way, he is aware of the hot mess that he has gotten himself into. And I think a large part of this chapter too, what what it revolves around is there's this big reveal at the end, right? That it wasn't actually Brandon Ricken um, who were killed, but, but, but the whole chapter, he doesn't seem to even acknowledge that to himself. So you do go on believing that it's actual guilt for actually killing 
actual Rickon and Bran. And it's like, it's almost like the truth shall set you free. Cause like he really at the end when it's like the last sentence reveals that it, that they're still alive, he should be free in some sense of feeling guilty about killing them because ultimately like, what does he have to be guilty for? Like he killed the Miller's boys. Sure. But it's not Brandon Rickon and, and people can really rest easy readers at least probably could knowing that. Yeah. I was expecting probably not to be told in this way, but it was really nice how George set it up in this chapter, because you're right. I mean, so much about what he's going through in this entire chapter revolves around these mistakes that he's made and within these mistakes, sort of the people that he's wronged. So when you have a dream, this insane, when, when George himself, when George himself writes, it was madness <laughs> inside, yeah. inside yeah. of his dream. Like he's describing it. There's teeth. It's crazy. Ah, blah, blah, blah. It was madness. He says, it was madness, and I think that that's the the truth of really Dion's entire situation here. Oh, yeah. And I can see why people have a problem with Dion as a character, even though he's having these terrifying dreams, and it, it's been days since he started having them. Uh, he doesn't seem to well, he doesn't act on it. Um, he is given a great opportunity by Asha, uh, his sister here, to leave Winterfell, and he doesn't take it. Um, but also, like he continues to make mistakes. He's he's far from being done from making mistakes, and not just in turning Asha down, but in uh, appointing Reek, w- what he does to, to, to Reek. Um, so without getting ahead of ourselves, basically, he does wake up from that first nightmare with the boys, with the wolves, uh, with boys' faces, and Reek is there with him, um, which is weird because he actually asks not to be disturbed. So he's like, what the hell are you doing here? Um but Reek just took it upon himself to come into Theon's quarters and watch him sleep. Yeah, he certainly got a little closer with Theon. And especially, I mean, what you were just talking about, what happens later on in this chapter. I was just like, damn. Like, he really didn't have to do much, Theon, to get in your tight, tight good graces. But apparently that doesn't take much. Uh, needless to say, he is heading down to the Great Hall, as it were, if you could call it something like that, where Asha and her 20 men are waiting. And <laughs> you may be thinking to yourself, 20 more men to come help. I mean, hell, Theon didn't even need that many people to take Winterfell. They could really use that. Uh, lower your expectations, my friends, because when she leaves, she's only going to leave 10. And I'm pretty sure they're going to be the most unwashed and uncapable, incapable soldiers that she can muster yeah well i think you know you could hate asha for what she does uh in this chapter by leaving by only bringing you know 20 men and leaving only 10 of them um but ultimately she does want you know part of what she wants is for theon to come with her he you know word of bran and rickon's death has reached even her um theon comments during this chapter that she even knows more than he does about how the locals are taking this murder, and she calls him out on a lot of the mistakes that he's made recently, number one being killing these boys. Um, there's this great line, which was in the show about, you know, which one gave you more tr- more uh, trouble, the cripple or the babe. You know, she points out that really by killing them, it didn't further his, his honor. Uh, nobody's going to respect him more for it um, because what he did was kill a bunch of kids. And furthermore, it would have been a lot smarter to keep them alive as hostages. And she points that out. She says... Uh, some words to the effect of you could have, you know, kept the North and one, one, uh, decisive swoop by just keeping these boys alive, but as hostages. And instead you've killed them. So come with me, brother. You should flee 
And we should go back to to my wooden piss pot, she calls it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. She's giving him such a, an easy out of this situation because I think Theon is smart enough to know that the danger that his men are, are facing just inside of Winterfell now, you know, their day-to-day activities being so guarded. Like it says in this chapter that he doesn't go to the privy without uh, guards, without walking with other men carrying weapons while he goes and takes a leak. You know what I'm saying? So he yeah, has well, people a- falling downstairs. Like some of his men are mysteriously. <laughs> mysteriously, do you think it's Reek? Uh, you know, it's tough to say because I, I have in good faith that there are some tough badasses that still roam the streets of Winterfell. Right, that like are actual just Winterfell. Their time. Yeah, just kind of like uh, the resist, like a resistance force, like a you know you don't screw with us kind of people. Right, because I don't care how many mornings the young Greyjoy wakes up in um, Ned Stark's bed. No one thinks that this is a permanent situation. No one believes that Theon has enough gall to really make this happen. You know what I mean? Like he, mm-hmm. Asha said it completely right. What you did was a nice trick. Like that was really smart. How you created a diversion and then took over Winterfell. But, you know, he didn't think further on at the situation. I think that everyone that is around this entire scenario understands that just as good as she does. And Asha informs Theon uh, when they talk that, you know, the Battle of Torin Square, it has been lost, essentially. I mean, it was a fantastic diversion, but uh, Dagmar Clefjaw is making his way, uh, you know, away from the area with survivors. Uh, they've they've lost the battle, and so... All of the bannermen, everyone uh, around, all of your neighbors are your enemies, she says to him. Um, you know, taking Winterfell was one thing. Keeping Winterfell is going to be something else entirely. And she knows that Theon cannot do it. And I think she even, you know, basically bids him a, like a, a farewell, like, see you never, ever again. Goodbye, brother. Uh, at the end of it, because she knows that essentially staying is inviting death. And I think... He knows it, but he doesn't act on it. And, you know, as soon as she leaves, he's like, I should have gone with her, but he doesn't. No, it, it's very good that in this moment, he starts to understand the things that he's done wrong. And I don't think that he feels any real regret for the things he's done that are wrong, per se. But I think his his largest trouble with what he's done is that he's made the wrong decision that would probably end up alienating him even further from his father. Like, he's already mm-hmm. in a bad enough situation when he first gets the pike. You know what I mean? But now after this has happened, and now that yeah. he may be facing some kind of death, in addition to losing the battles on the land, like, they definitely did not want to get into, you know, it just it just creates an even more tumultuous situation for Theon. But, I mean, at this at the same time, he did take Winterfell. So there is that. Yeah, it's like, it's like this, I mean, he's this kid who, you know, has this, glory that comes from this one event like he got lucky he got smart you know but it it doesn't make him a great warrior even something somebody that people would respect he's able to you know kind of come up with on the spot a, a reason for killing the boys he says well i was avenging our brothers you know I yeah. guess the, the two brothers that were killed by the starks um previously in uh, his rebellion, Balan Greyjoy's rebellion. And that mm. kind of, that even surprises Asha. She's like, oh. Uh, it surprised me too. I was like, hey, nice last minute lie there, buddy. Nice it works. lie. Like, we know he's <laughs> totally pulling it out of his ass. But it works. He's just, she's just like, like she leaves him alone then. And he's like, yeah. well, dad, dad would be happy to know that I was avenging them. And it just, it works. Um, she even says, like, I thought their ghost suddenly haunted him. So it's interesting, but I, I think she's being genuine. You know, she really kind of, 
she loves tormenting him. She loves it, loves it, loves it. And, and she totally gets off on it. And he continually feels every word that she utters that he has been shown up. And he has been because he's just that pathetic, uh, to, to be honest. It's so easy. Like you say about, you know, Reek joining the ranks and getting in the inner circle so quickly. It's really almost too easy. You have to be the, you have to have the gall to do it. Um, you know, and I think we'll now analyze that in a minute, but with Asha, you know, wanting, you know, for him to come with her. And then the fact that he doesn't is just, well, that's a shame because she, she can see that he's not going to last very much longer, that he's gotten in over his head. And it's the guilt of everything that he's done and the knowledge, at least subconsciously at this part, that he is in over his head that's causing him to have such terrible sleep and is causing him to, you know, not be able to, to cope with, the normal, otherwise, you know, plain goings on at Winterfell. Yeah, and I think that Reek's ability to, I mean, let's just face facts here for a second. We know who Reek is. We know the kinds of abilities that Reek possesses and the kinds of things that he does. I mean, at this point, or at one point in the chapters, mentioned that he is the one who flayed off the skin of the small boys from the mill that were mistaken and dipped in tar and meant to lead people to think that they were Bran and Rickon. And I'm just thinking, okay, well, that's pretty clear. So maybe he's done a dirty job. Maybe this was good enough to be pals with Theon. But I don't think it is. I think it really comes down to the fact that Reek, in essence, is a noble-born person. And he was raised with good teachings. And he was raised with intelligence. And right now, he is just being a crafty, crafty son of a bitch. Yeah. And working his way into Theon's circle. And he's just doing it so well. And, you know, especially after Asha leaves. And he, he basically comes up to Theon. And he's being like devil on the shoulder, like, oh, man, she left, huh? What do you think about that, Theon? Oh, that's rough, isn't it? We already know that Theon or that Reek can read and write. This should have raised so many red flags. Uh, in addition to all the other ones that are raised, every time Reek is in a scene, uh, all of these red flags, like, he basically knows more than he should for, for the, for the backstory that he was given as, you know, as being this, I don't know what he was, the stable boy or prisoner of the bastard of Bolton. Um, he shouldn't know the things that he does, but Theon just use it because he's so desperate for an advantage. He overlooks the fact that Reek shouldn't be able to do what he is doing, what he's capable of doing. And he ignores, you know, all the negative side effects and just says, Oh yeah, you can help us. You know, you, you can, you can go off and find me about 200 more men. You know, it's going to take some, some money. Okay. Here you go. You know, here's some money. Just go off and, and do what you want. And, and Reek basically asks, he says, what I, I know I'm from the North. I was born in the North. I know some men. I'd be able to help out. Really, he comes in as like this savior to, to Theon's plight, which is, I don't have enough men to continue to defend Winterfell or to get out alive. Uh, Reek says, okay, let me go off and I'll find some men for you. I mean, whether or not he will or what kind of men he's going to bring back, I don't know how it plays out quite in the books, but it's just so utterly shady and so conniving. And because we know who Reek is, we're able to really appreciate, I think, in the books how He's just so slyly, you know, getting closer and closer to Theon's inner circle. I mean, he's Theon's most trusted advisor at this point. I think it's easy, easy to say. I know it's kind of replaced the uh, strange, mysterious first mate from the show, but it's tough to say. I can see what they did with those two characters now. And, and I think it's more interesting and, and more dynamic 
with this freak character while Theon is at Winterfell, don't you? I just think it adds a level to it. Yeah, I mean, I guess they didn't want to cast somebody in the role for season two because it was going to be a bigger role in season three. Um, but I, I think it would have been nice to see at, at least at least in the show he's got more men that are like around and Winterfell is Winterfell is occupied by some of his men and so I think that he kind of it almost looks better in the show that he has a little bit more of a chance in the show even though there's still the scene with him I think tra- trying to hack off the guy's head I do have that cutting from the book not to use cutting as a jest <laughs> here but it goes to say he could not let the killings go unpunished Farland was as likely a suspect as any so Theon sat in judgment and called him guilty and condemned him to death. Now, obviously, this is the the Farland is being blamed for the killings that haphazardly, air quotes, took place earlier. Like, oh, the mysterious drowning in the well or, oh, someone mysteriously fell down every stair and broke every part of his back. <laughs> it continues. As he knelt to the block, the killmaster said, my lord Eddard always did his own killings. Theon had to take the axe himself or look a weakling. His hands were sweating. So the shaft twisted in his grip as he swung, and the first blow landed between Farland's shoulders. It took three more cuts to hack through all that bone and muscle and sever the head from the body, and afterward he was sick, remembering all the times they'd sat over a cup of mead talking of hounds and hunting. I had no choice. He wanted to scream at the corpse. The ironborn can't keep secrets. They had to die, and someone had to take the blame for it. He only wished that he had killed him cleaner. Ned Stark had never needed more than a single blow to take a man's head. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, Ned had ice. Ned Ned did have ice. It was folded something like 100 million times. Yeah, but dude, three times. swings? Oh, I mean, listen, you've cut stuff. I don't know if you've ever chopped wood necessarily <laughs> with a big axe, but I know that you've cut stuff and or have pretended to cut things. Think about using a sharpened, battle-ready axe on the back of someone's shoulders. That sucks, dude. Yeah. That but sucks. it just it just what sucks about it is that it takes it more than one blow and it's not just because he's weak of strength. It makes him look weak as a character that he can't do what this brilliant Ned Stark could do. You know, it's it's, it's uh, such a positional thing for for him not being like it's it's there's less honor to to not being able to cleanly kill somebody. Um and and Theon is just batting a thousand. This chapter is almost unbearable for somebody who likes the guy because he continually just embarrasses himself. Um, and it really is interesting to see that he had this moment where he could have pulled out and would have, you know, presumably gotten away safely. Although I imagine he would have taken Reek with him and Reek probably then would have infiltrated, uh, Deepwood Mott or wherever. And so he wouldn't have been safe from Reek necessarily. Um, if Reek is a threat, but he would have been safe from everybody who's now turning their eye back on Winterfell. Well, so Theon has a, a really bad way of dealing with, actually he doesn't deal with all of his emotions. Um, he, he sends Asha away. She leaves, I think it's from the same bridge that <laughs> Bran and Rickon escaped from and all this stuff, but he tries to drown out all of his thoughts, all of his feelings, you know, and I mean, we have ways of dealing with this. It's, alcohol is a big one. Theon, he just grabs a girl and injures her with lots and lots of sex, trying I mean, to forget her. There's really no way to sugarcoat it. Essentially, Theon rapes a girl. I mean, he brings a girl into his bedchambers, and at one point, what does it say? It says he sent for Kyra, kicked the door shut, climbed on top of her, and fucked the wench with the fury he'd never known was in him. By the time he is finished, she was sobbing. 
Her neck and breasts covered with bruises and bite marks. Theon shoved her from the bed and threw a blanket. Get out. Hey, at least he threw a blanket, though, right? Well, the, the you could, by that joke, you could also say, well, she got to see Ned Stark's bedchambers. Hey. Oh, everything is terrible. So, but I does, see, <laughs> yeah. Everything is bad about this situation. I think Zach right. and I both agree it's a horrible thing. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that he that he hooked up with the, the Mills wife either. And so that happened. And it's just like when you say hooked <laughs> up, that's like when I was watching the show, I didn't necessarily get the whole Theon decides to do everything. So let's take off his manhood. And that's the most like that's his best part of his body, because right. I just feel like in the show he hooked up with about as many people as other people that hook up with people hook up with people in the show. Yeah. If yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah. But here in the book, it's clear, like the kind of person that does this. That can't just, okay, let's sack the mill and kill these two kids. Oh, I have to sleep with the wife. They can't just go to sleep at night. Oh, I'm so pissed off at everything. Stick this wench in here and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's behaving as maybe the king would be, except the king probably wouldn't live in a state as this, where he's sieging a town that's not his and the people he's inviting up aren't his people, if that makes yeah. any sense, right? He, he's adolescent. He's selfish. He's... uh crude he's you know obviously very uh destructive of of everything around him and he needs to be stopped interesting though when you read it i'm just gonna read the last paragraph of the chapter i know we've read a lot but so much of this needs to be just read rather than spoken to you guys it says theon gazed at them silently this is talking about the heads that were up on the spikes outside theon gazed at them silently while the wind tugged on his cloak with small ghostly hands the Miller's boys had been of age with Brandon Rickon, alike in size and coloring, and once Reek had flayed the skin from their faces and dipped their heads in tar, it was easy to see familiar features in those misshapen lumps of rotting flesh. People were such fools. If we'd said there were ram's heads, they would have seen horns. Mm. Mm. So I think what we can take away from this is that, just like we said earlier on in the chapter, to whatever extent Theon is allowed to feel this inside of his own head, uh, I think he's feeling a little bit of remorse, but not quite remorse for what he's done, like I said before, but more of just remorse for the entire situation and what he's let himself into. Yeah, for sure. Hell, I think it would be a, a pretty fun drinking game because we got um, Ned. Conti- Ned was mentioned again in this chapter. Of course, they're at Winterfell, so it's like, well, who's the biggest guy in Winterfell? It was Ned. Recently departed, dear Ned. Um, a fun idea for a drinking game would be to drink every time Ned gets mentioned after his death, but... <laughs> But depending on what uh, number book you're on, that's how many drinks you have to take. So in book two, every time Damn. Ned is mentioned, you take two shots. But I'm, I have a feeling that these Ned references about honor, about cutting people's head off with one blow are not going to go away. Um, I have a feeling that Ned and, – and actually Theon sees Ned in his dream uh, towards the end of the chapter as well. Headless, of course. Um, very interesting prophetic dream, but we just get so many of them. It's really like how often do you want to repeat the fact that – the people who were Everyone dead. Everyone was dead. They were they were eating lunch, let's just say, right? They were just dead eating lunch together. There's a song called Dead Man's Party by Oingo Boingo. And mm-hmm. uh it's just it's what I think of when I was reading this, or what I thought of when I was reading this thing. But um I mean that's that's the un for you. And you know, as we conclude this chapter, I, I really hesitate to ask you, Zach, what what was uh what was your own? It's tough, you know, because Asha was in this chapter, and she does a damn good job of saying stuff out loud. And I just wanted to highlight one thing that she said, and it was directed toward Dion's crown, but also 
Another thing that wasn't necessarily an Asha own. I'm going to break one of your rules. But first to Asha, it says, you ought to know that's the ugliest crown I've ever laid eyes on. Did you make it yourself? Um, <laughs> he basically did. Uh, someone just made it randomly for him. Can you imagine like a macaroni crown? Like yeah. it's just like glued, glued, Elmer's glue and macaroni. Just use a Burger King crown. They look fine. All right. Yeah, yeah. they look fine. Yeah. And this next one goes to actually Theon himself. I think that uh, he did a great job. This was an example of an own where someone decides to insult a physical location. He said, Bugger Deepwood. It's a wooden piss pot on a hill. Winterfell is the heart of the land, but how am I to hold it without a garrison? Very true. Well, I'm going to break my own rule in this chapter, too. And what? Give, yes. This is the first time. It's a, Oh, is this? Then I can't do it. If it. Is it really the first time I've broken it? It really my own is. Life? But listen, if it's, I mean, listen. It's your bullshit stupid rule, okay? But <laughs> <laughs> if you want to break it, I feel like break, Theon's break breaking all of his rules. Well, no, look, then okay, okay, I'm gonna reverse it. I'm gonna make it so it's not an own for Theon. Okay, my my own is going to Master Lewin or Meister Lewin. Um, he asks that the children's bodies be deposited in the crypts the way that it is it is right, you know, to do with Stark bodies. And right. Theon says, "Hell no." He's tired of these bodies. He he says, screw tradition. He ends up burning these bodies of the Miller's sons. Um, that would have been in my own if I were in the mood for giving Theon an own. But I'm going to give it to Meister Lewin for simply asking, you know, trying to observe the t- traditions that they hold dear. Um, you know, it's a shame Theon didn't get it. Um, but maybe Theon did it because he knew they weren't really the real bodies, you know. So I, I think that uh, you just got to give it to Meister Lewin for continuing to look out to be some sort of shepherd of tradition there at Winterfell, uh, even when it's in such um, disarray from what Theon has done. Yeah, and I thought in that moment that it was Theon, like, being honorable, you know, that's what a, what a freaking stretch to make. But it's Theon, like, he grew up in this place, and he knows that that is the tomb for the Starks and for their entire bloodline. And so maybe, maybe he was thinking, no, they don't need to be buried there. You know, they're not even Starks, so what's the yeah. point? But at the same time, it's probably because they bear no physical resemblance to the boys at all. And probably and he's just tired <laughs> of hearing these crypts. They creep him out. They creep everybody out. They do. But he's just tired of, of these creepy things that are reaching out to him in the darkness. He's sick of it. That concludes Arthian chapter. Hey guys, look, we just finished talking about our owns. What a perfect time to transition into a segment where we don't quite talk about your owns and it's not quite a segment, but it is as followed. Follows. Yes. We got some comments here on Twitter that I like to read. The first from Crystal Murphy. She says, I love your podcasts. I just got into them recently. I make drives, or they make drives and the off-season tolerable. Keep making me laugh and think. I like that. Laugh and think. Laugh you know and what I mean? think. Like, haha, I'm thinking while I'm laughing. Like, hmm, yeah. pondering while smiling. We have uh, some support from Atomics IGN. Uh, hurry back. We had a little bit of a uh, a Thanksgiving break there, and uh, it's nice to be wanted uh, to, to to be back. And let me assure you, Atomics IGN, we are in fact back. Oh, we're back. We Remember are back. I see a tweet from Ida. Where is the new episode of At Game of Owns? It was there only a few hours after you tweeted that, Ida. Yes. See how that works? Answering your prayers and or tweets on As a daily basis. As we do. Speaking of prayers, uh, atheist Burroughs. <laughs> <laughs> this is – I can't make this up, okay? <laughs> At atheist PR girl, who's Nicely apparently done. the PR girl for, for atheists everywhere, says yep. Game of Owns, oh my god, Zach made a bananas <laughs> in pajamas reference. I'm satisfied now. 
Oh, it took that long, but finally you're satisfied. Satisfied. Hours I've been slumped over computer editing this shit, and now you're satisfied. What What did you say (laughs) that was bananas in pajamas? We were singing it to each other, I think, and I was bananas in pajamas. Something else was mentioned, and I was like, "Oh, but what about these things? They're fruit and footwear. That's good." Well, atheist, and uh, by the way, we got a comment from Ryan McAllister saying, "No wasted wine here." So. That's know. always good for, for, for holiday experiences. But, uh, you know, to atheists, if you really truly are satisfied with our, um, podcast, we would ask that you would head over to iTunes and, uh, give us a, a good old rating if you can. Subscribe to us, obviously, in iTunes if you want our shows automatically sent, uh, to you via your iTunes software, but also you can give us a review and, and give us, you know, a rating and a review to help others find and click on our podcast. It's just something we ask of our listeners. And, you know, you can read the reviews that are already there. People have been very generous, um, partly because we threatened to attack them with all sorts of crazy galloping camels and other stuff. Um, yeah, you know, the if most they don't dangerous they, kind of camel, you know, in the week of uh, or in the month of December, in the now, week of December, guys. in the week of the first week of December, uh-huh. um, the Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. If Micah were here, he would tell you to your face, uh, but I'm telling you instead. And uh, just again, uh, atheists, we're glad that you're glad that you're satisfied. I'm glad that you're glad that she's glad that she's satisfied. It's true. You know? It's There was gladness all around. Gladware. Gladware. <laughs> but, uh, Here's an email, okay? I'll just, I'll just go right into it. I'll just – literally going to dive directly into this email. Hey, guys and gal. I have to start off by admitting that on my list excuse me, let me try that again. I have to start off by admitting that on my first read through of A Clash of Kings, I fully believed that George had killed Bran and Rickon. Last we hear about them, the sketchy Reek character is telling Theon he knows where they are. Then there isn't another Bran chapter until the end of the book. Everyone thinks they are dead. On the other hand, I don't think any of our unsullied friends believed for a second that Brandon and Rickon were dead, and if they did, it was only until the end of the episode. I'm also surprised how long it took them in the TV show to tell Rob and Catelyn that the boys were killed, because this is a huge part of her motivation in her decision to free Jamie. Completely agree. Amazing point. Even after they hear the news on the show, Rob is kind of optimistic that they might be alive, which I found strange. Agree. All this to say, this was one of George's best hoodwinks of the series, and it's a shame it really did translate... It's a shame it really didn't translate onto the screen with the same effect. Tim Mulligan. Thank you for your email, Tim. I agree. You know, and I wonder if it's just less credit to Theon for Rob not believing he could really have killed the boys as he said he would. Maybe it's because it's like the bro thing where it's like he totally wouldn't have done that, but he would say he would. Or I think it's more credit to Theon to think that maybe Theon wouldn't do that to his little brother. You know what I mean? Mm, really depends. Yeah. Depends on if you're meant to like or hate Theon. But I agree in the show it wasn't a mystery at all. We talked about that before, um, namely even during the episode. Uh, but in the books, hey, I mean, it's good to know that you were hoodwinked, as you say. Um, and it's, it's just, this must have been such a relief then at the end of this Theon chapter to be like, oh, okay, they could be still alive. Um, you know, interestingly, that reminds me like, what does Theon think is going to happen? It's another reason why he should have gone with Asha because eventually Bran and Rickon are going to reappear into the picture. Like, does he think he's driven them off, like, really? Like, forever? Because they belong in the north, and they have so many bannermen, he hasn't sacked any nearby cities. Like, they could literally have gone anywhere, even to the Boltons, and been like, hey, we're alive. Don't flash. Yeah, why don't you go help us, uh, you know, kill uh, 
or get back at Theon. So, and, and they would have ob- obligated to because they're Bannermen. So I think Theon should have taken it out. We're about to see the downfall of a very, um, mistake ridden, uh, boy in Theon and, and we're about to see it all go downhill. But, uh, this was kind of, uh, calm before the storm. It's one of those, uh, great chapters that has a lot of imagery and, uh, we're glad that, uh, you were relieved at the end of this, Mr. Mr. Tim M. But um, if you want to send us an email, just like uh, Tim did, you can email us at contact at gameofowns.com. That is our email address. Um, if you wanted to tweet at us, you can find us twitter.com slash gameofowns. And, of course, we're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash gameofowns. If you're thinking of us or you want to uh, check out some of the latest uh, memes and funny things that are happening in the world of Game of Thrones, go scroll upon our wall or view our wall uh, on Facebook. It's true, and thank you so much again, Tim, for your email. We encourage you guys all to get in touch with us in the show because that does nothing but light a fire underneath our community and cook it and enrich it like a nice, beautiful, delicious stew that deserves to be eaten. I'm Zach Lloyd. I'm Eric Skull. And that is your furnace <laughs> it's creepy it's creepy it out. is it's, it's gonna give like, me some uh nightmares sounds like just air is coming what does it look like it, uh it's metacular metal metal <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's metalish metalin metaline Me- metalin you know the smallest Me- of them all was metaline Two straight houses and three, two little girls and two. I'm I'm missing opening lines of Madeline. There we go. Uh, okay, here we go. This is how the Madeline books. In an old house in Paris that was covered with vines, lived twelve little girls in two straight lines. In two straight lines, they broke their bread and brushed their teeth and went to bed. They left the house at half past nine in two straight lines in rain or shine. The smallest one was Madeline. Fine. <laughs>